Well, we're going to have a good time today. And I got to talk to you about some stuff. We're in a series called One Family. The title of today's message is Family Dynamics. Family Dynamics. We're going to talk about the roles in the family according to God's design. Over the past weekend, Kelly and I on Friday evening had some people over to the house and on Friday we both kind of took the day off and out of the office to get things ready and woke up determined to get everything prepared for the guests. So naturally, Kelly went about all of the work of getting things ready and I went outside. I mowed the grass. There were some branches that needed to be trimmed. As I'm mowing the grass, I'm walking beside the house and I notice all the vinyl siding needs to be pressure washed. And then I go around the back and I notice all these these deck chairs out here on the back deck, they need to be wiped up. And I begin to find many things to do in preparation for the guests. I would get a text on occasion, where in the world are you? And then, are you still outside? Well, of course I am. I'm preparing for the guests. I'm washing the vinyl siding down the side of the house because everybody knows that when guests come over at night, they walk beside your house to see. (laughs) Looks okay to me. (laughs) And while it is a funny analogy, the bottom line is that we're different. God wired us in our families to be different. How boring would the family be if we fulfilled the purpose of the other role? If everybody was the same, then we're probably not really paying attention to what God says in his word, the dynamics and the roles of the family. Paul uses the illustration when he talks about the church being a body. And every person in the church plays different roles according to their giftedness. And I would also argue that your family has different roles that are very prominent in Scripture. Today we preach Scripture, biblical, bold, without apology, as we try to do every Sunday. We talk about the dynamics of the home. We pray that nowhere in today's message, it is my hope that you will find an opinion or something adjusted to cultural norms or related to the times of our nation. You see, I believe the pulpit is a sovereign thing. It is a biblical message. It is not chauvinist. It is not feminist or modernist or capitalist or Republican or Democrat or any other belief system of learning or teaching that's out there. Knowing all of that, let us ask today the Holy Spirit to show us where we can improve in our own family role and our own family calling. Where we can improve in our homes and our families operating in the dynamics found in the scriptures, not the dynamics found in the media, or in the opinions of people. 
Because those things change. One of the challenging things about this topic is that every time I encounter a sermon series on the family or prepare to teach this topic or this series, there is very few good examples found in Scripture. There are hardly any, only one really that I can imagine that is a great example of family dynamics in this entire book. Now, there's great examples of faith, of power, of obedience, of sacrifice. But the family dynamic examples in the Scripture are few and far between. What does that mean for you and I? Well, in this context, over thousands of years of which the Bible is historically a record of God's people and His plan. Even the ones who made it in the Bible find that they have their own shares and their own struggles and their share of struggles as they try to function in the role of husband and wife, father and mother, and even child for that matter. (laughs) So, So the point is this. We have to look at it today with honesty, with vulnerability, to see the standard that God lays out. Let's not get caught up in adjusting the standard to something we can accept and live to. Let's continue to aim at the standard that God's called us to. Before we get started, I want you to look at your neighbor to your right and to your left and say this one word to them, relax. Now listen, not fall asleep, just relax. I don't want you to go all the way. I don't see somebody leaning over. I got an open chair next to him. Listen, now that we're all relaxed, I want you to know that what we're looking at is the biblical standard. It is the target. It is what God has called us to do. I grew up going to a camp in the mountains and uh, they had archery out there, and I used to love to go out there and shoot bows and arrows, and when I would go out there and shoot bows and arrows, there'd be people standing to the right and to the left, and I would look at that target, and I'd pull that thing back, and I'd shoot, and it was like a competition, and I won many ribbons for participating. So what we would do, (laughs) I was the pastor's kid, so they had to give me one. Anyway, so what what I, what I want to share with you, though, is that if I would pull that arrow back and I would look to my right and see little Johnny over here and look to my left and see little Sammy over there and I'd watch how they're aiming and what they're doing and I'd be looking at them and their target, then I'm going to miss completely what I'm trying to look and go to. And how many times do we find ourselves comparing somebody else's home and somebody else's family and somebody else's marriage and somebody else's kids You see, when we look at those things, we take our eyes off of the target that God's given us in this. I've been been taught often, and I've been reminded often, and I say often that comparison is the enemy of contentment. So you want to be miserable? Compare yourself to others. Today, we don't want to compare, and I don't want you to walk out of here saying, I can never do what these things are saying. Let me just help you. You can't. 
Well, why are you even telling us? If you could, then Jesus wouldn't have had to die. Are you here today? Dare I say the nine o'clock is, was more excited than y'all? They weren't, I'm just trying to rile you up a little bit. At the end of the day, I want you to leave challenged and encouraged. But I want to leave no gray area. The scriptures are black and white. One more thing of encouragement before we pray and we get into it. Um, the Bible is described as a two-edged sword. A two-edged sword. <laughs> you know, a two-edged sword, funny thing about those is they have two edges. Men, women, children, if you walk out of here using this as a weapon, there's another edge that needs to be dealing with your own heart as well. You with me? Yeah. Do what Pastor Andrew said. Listen, it's more like chichank. You with me? This is not a hammer, it's a sword. Come on. Pray with me. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence. Thank you for the word that you gave us. <laughs> Help us, Lord, to be free of the heavy burden of feeling like we have to do this on our own. And also help us to be free of the standards and the chatter that is in this world today that goes against the scriptures. Help us to see your word for what it is, life. Thank you, Jesus. Help this preacher do his assignment well. Help us as a church family respond to be all you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis, first book of the Bible. First family of the Bible, first family of the world, Adam and Eve. God creates Adam, sends a bunch of animals to him. He names them. None of them work. God says, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to make him a helper. I'm going to make him someone that can partner with him in life. Her name is Eve. He brings Eve to Adam, and Adam says, yes, this is what I'm talking about. Then they begin to follow the command of the Lord to be stewards of the garden together. Now, it isn't long before Adam and Eve actually come into the world and begin to live that the Bible takes us to the next thing that happens in their life. They sin. So their run of perfection was really, really, really short. Now, at the end of the day, they were in a garden. There was no sin. They were in the best of conditions, and yet they sinned, and the fall of humanity transpired and followed over the last thousands of years, and we find ourselves in a place where when we make a mistake, we spend too much time going over here and worrying about the mistake and forgetting about the grace and forgiveness that comes from Jesus Christ that says that every time we fail, every time we ask him to forgive us, he does. But then there's a step further. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. 
You see, friend, because it's not enough to just say, oh, did it again, I'm sorry. Oh, did it again, I'm sorry. Oh, did it again, I'm sorry. Repentance is a turning away from. So we find Adam and Eve, the first family that fall right into sin, and now we find the family dynamics that Scripture lays out, yet it's hard to find an example. Are you ready? Number one, the husband. The husband is called to, first of all, serve. The husband is called to serve. There's a preacher that I watch from time to time named Matt Chandler. I enjoy his teaching. Some years ago, he was doing a teaching that is all about men going to bed with too much energy. So the concept is simple, and it's accurate. Men were called, husbands were called to serve our families. And at the end of the day, if we hit the pillow and we got energy, we didn't do it right that day. We come home from work, we sit in the driveway, we take a deep breath and say, God, now let me invest in the eternal things as I go into my home. Let me serve my wife, my children, my home. Let me do what you've really called me to do and put me on this earth to do, to serve. And so, so many times, we, we, we will walk in and say, honey, not now. Honey, long day at work. Can I tell you the problem sometimes for husbands is we get in and we want to immediately compare. Well, what'd you do today? How hard was your day? Whether she's at home or she's at work. Well, how many meetings did you have? How many workers called out? Husbands, listen, the moment you walk in and start talking like that, you're going to have a hard night. There's a couch with your name on it. And at the end of the day, you walk in with a posture of servitude to your family the same way Jesus, at the Last Supper, he didn't say, listen, disciples, bring me my glass, bring me my food, and serve me. I've had a long day. I'm getting ready to die for y'all, y'all know. No, he starts washing feet. Jesus is our example in everything. And so when the Scripture says, serve your family, then we are to call the what? Husbands, serve our wives. We find ourselves in a place where, yes, we are busier than we've ever been. But if your concern might be, what if I get burnt out? And what if I'm too tired the next day? Can I tell you that serving your family will be the thing that gives you more energy than anything else? When you find yourself in that posture doing what God's called you to do in the dynamics of the home, then you'll wake up the next day. I've served my family. I've spent myself on what matters. The second thing the husband is called to do is sacrifice. Sacrifice. Now, I need to say here that everybody in here is going to be included in this message today. So before the wives in the house tell their husbands, pay attention, he's talking to you. You're next. And before you teenagers and any children in the room, y'all are in here too. (laughs) Some of y'all getting up, let me go get my kids out of kids' church right quick. (laughs) And you say, man, I'm not a husband, I'm not a wife, I'm not a father, I'm not a mother. You want to know what it's supposed to look like when you get there? Pay attention. Funny story. That's nothing to do with what we're talking about today. Y'all want to hear it? 
So on Tuesday night, we have young adult ministry, and I was called upon to preach at the young adults from our young adult ministry's director. And as I'm preaching to them, and they're sitting there scowling at me the entire time, because young adults don't, I don't know, they don't respond. kind of feels like what's happening right now. <laughs> anyway, uh, as I'm preaching and, and sharing with them, I, uh, I said something to the effect that, well, I only get to come around every four to six months. <laughs> and a young man on the front row said, Hallelujah. He's going through a church discipline process right now. All right. Uh, <laughs> here we go. Husband, sacrifice. Sacrifice. Ephesians chapter 5. Here's what the scripture says. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. Husbands, if you're beating up your wife figuratively, physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually, you're missing the point. Your calling is to sacrifice yourself for the sake of the cleansing of your wife. Pastor, you don't understand. She don't listen. You don't understand. She don't do this. She don't do that. I don't care what she does. If it's as if Christ loved the church, insert yourself in how stupid you've been and Jesus still died on a cross for your sins. Hello? I'll put it to you this way. The greatest part of the sacrifice of Christ is that he did not do it because he had to. He did not do it because we deserved it. He did it because he wanted to save us, protect us, and cover us. Husband, you are called to be that cover for your wife. Doesn't matter if you feel your wife is deserving or has earned it or is living up to your demands or standards. You made a vow before God. Be a man. Number two. Ladies. He can't talk to me. Listen, you came here today. I... You came to church today. Ushers, don't let them leave. First Peter, chapter three. First Peter, sorry, sorry, sorry. First Peter, chapter three. Listen, if this is your first time today. It's always like this. All right. You were expecting me to say something different. Anyway, the wife. The wife has a calling upon her life as well. The wife is first called to submit. I know his wife ain't here today. Uh, yeah, first Peter, first Peter three. Listen seriously, First Peter chapter three. Here we go. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. 
They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. I, I, I could translate that this way. Don't be a Kardashian. You should clothe yourselves instead with beauty that comes from within. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They trusted God. Who did they trust? And accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband, Abraham, and called him her master. Men, don't go there. <laughs> Just don't. Pastor said, you got to, You are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. Catch this. This is a connection. This is a nod. This is a direct line to a story in Genesis where Genesis chapter 12, where Abram and Sarah go to Egypt. As they're going to Egypt, there was famine in the land. As they're going to Egypt, he says, listen, honey, you are beautiful. And because you're beautiful, they're going to kill me to take you, so tell them you're my sister. In this story, you don't see Sarah, which this is a direct example of. You don't see Sarah said, "Uh uh-uh. Not going to do that. You tell them you're my brother. I mean, you don't see this interaction. You just see it happening. Why? The scripture lays this out, and you're going to catch this. This is going to be really good. Not because she trusted that idea from Abram, but she trusted the God of Abram and accepted the plan. Even when the plan is stupid. Come on. It is not your responsibility, wife, to say, no, I'm right, you're wrong, we're doing it my way. Did you know one of the parts of the curse? I'm going to go here. One of the parts of the curse in Genesis, it talks about the sweat of the brow, it talks about the pain of childbirth, and it also says the desire of the woman will be to control her husband. That's part of the curse. And how many of you guys know that the tension in the family sometimes is that the dynamics between the husband and the wife has been flipped? I'm watching a television show right now. It's called 90 Day Fiance. So the problem here is that one of these relationships, the dynamic is, uh, well, uh, American women, they just, they're in control of everything and they don't let the husband do anything. And, and I'm watching it and I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about my sermon. Well, that's not biblical. The Bible, the Bible says, you know. <laughs> but, but how true this has become. And it causes a lot of chaos and a lot of tension. I'm gonna, I wanna help you understand something. At the end of the day, if the husband does something and messes something up, God's gonna hold him accountable. Him accountable. You trust God and accept his leadership. Ooh, that should be freeing. And here's how good God is. Not because of Abram's plan. Catch it. Come on. Catch it. Here it comes. It's a fastball. 
Not because of Abram's plan, but because of Sarah's submission, God blessed the snot out of them. I know it's a terrible snot of that. That's old. God blessed them. The Bible tells us that in Egypt, he got cattle, he got sheep, he got livestock, he got stuff and stuff and stuff. Why? Because Sarah said, listen, you're in charge. I trust God. Amen? What a great place to be. I'm a little jealous. Men, can I, t- can I help you with one more thing? Here's what I'm thinking we should do. Honey, what do you think? And listen. But at the end of the day, you are before God and you say, Holy Spirit, show me what's right. Can I tell you, it took a long time. <laughs> Kelly would say, I got a feeling about this, but whatever you want to do. And so I would do whatever I wanted to do. <laughs> and it would come back around. Say, I don't understand why it didn't work. Well, I had a feeling about it, you know. <laughs> Women, wives. It's a call from God. It's a trusting of God. What if my husband isn't a Christian? It's right here. Even when they're not following the Lord, your calling is to submit to that authority. Hmm. The second thing is the wife is called to steward. Proverbs 31 talks about the studious woman. In verse 12, it reminds us that the studious woman or a a woman like this is hard to come by. They're as precious as rubies, the scripture says. In verse 12, it says, This woman, this wife, this mother, this lady brings good, not harm. Wife, are you building up your husband in front of others and in front of him or constantly tearing him down? How can you expect him to become all that, he's, all that God's called him to be if all you're doing is knocking him out at the feet? Can I just tell you from a man's perspective? Your words bring life. And maybe you don't see it yet, but how about saying what you want to see someday and see God do it in that man's life? <laughs> how about verse 23 talks about a woman that brings a good reputation the scripture says that the husband in this, in this chapter was known at the city gates. Why? Because his wife was of good reputation. Verse 30 talks about the fear of the Lord being the most important thing than all the other things. Because the fear of God is lasting and eternal. Number three, the child is called to trust and obey. No matter how much you think you know, you do not know at all. I know we all have gone through that season probably, I don't know, but I assume that many of us have been in that season where we felt like we knew more than our parents. Right? Nobody? All y'all are saying, I ain't never done that before. My kid's doing it right now, but I ain't never done that before. Listen, anybody ever been through that season? Well, it's confession time. It ain't a Catholic church, but you can confess. <laughs> of course. We all kind of go through that season. There's a story in Genesis 22, and the reason why I keep using Abraham is because Abraham is literally called the father of the faith. The scriptures talk about how awesome Abraham was, and yet, even in the midst of the mistakes that he made, 
In Genesis chapter 22, he calls his son Isaac, we're going camping. The Lord told him, take your son to the mountain and sacrifice him. Abraham was walking in obedience. Isaac, who was probably a teenager at the time, is carrying the wood and carrying the the supplies up the hill. No sacrifice, even turns to his father. Hey, dad, where's the sacrifice? Don't worry about that. Well, I'm kind of, dad, I'm kind of worried about that. Now just lay down here, shh, it's okay, shh, I mean, can you imagine? The point is this, trust and obey. Isaac submitted himself to his father in obedience and trusted, and then God provided, amen? Sometimes we feel like we gotta figure it all out. But I want to remind you, we got to let God be God. The second thing that the child is called to do is to honor and respect. Ephesians chapter 6 reminds us of that only commandment that God gives us that has a promise. Ephesians 6, 1 and 3 talks about honoring our parents. And if we do, we'll have long life upon the earth. I'm 47. I'm honoring my mama with everything in me because I believe God's got more for me to do. Which, by the way, I met someone recently that said I was 37. I just want to put that in. It has nothing to do with anything. I was encouraged. (laughs) Matthew chapter 15, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he's telling them, listen, You're putting all this religious weight on people. So much to the point that they're neglecting their responsibilities to their parents so they can come and give to you. They're saying, Mom, Dad, I can't help you because I gotta go do this and I gotta go do that. Don't let anything, even religion, especially religion, replace your responsibility to honoring your parents. Jesus on the cross even, in the middle of dying for your sin and mine, had the mental state to look down at his mother and say to his disciple John, John, take care of my mom. Number four, a father is called to number one, to be consistent. To be consistent. I'm telling you, it's something that we've forgotten One of the reasons why children are so flustered is because parents are all over the place. Reading the next book or the next article, following whatever the quote-unquote experts say we're supposed to do now. Can we can we just stand on this, please? I'll put it to you this way: Ephesians six four, and again in Colossians three twenty twenty one, it talks about how. Fathers are not to exasperate their children or to frustrate their children. Can I tell you the most frustrating thing that fathers do in their homes and to their children is they continue to change the standard. Parenting is hard work. And we've got to be consistent. Fathers, you've got to be consistent in the way you raise that child. How in the world can the child live to a standard if they don't know what's laid out before them? 
It is your responsibility, Father, to be the leader of the home. Set a standard, live by it, apply it, and be an example in it. We've got to also be an example. We cannot say, don't do what I do. Do what I say you're supposed to do. Don't you dare cuss and turn around and we're cussing out their mother. Don't you dare drink when you get older and there we are, bottle in hand, day in and day out. Don't you dare skip out on work and yet all we're doing is finding excuses not to go to work. Father, can we please raise our children in a godly way? Can we please do something because it has eternal consequence or eternal blessing? Father, you're called to greatness. Walk in it, own it, be consistent. Be able to be counted upon by your family. Secondly, be courageous. We see King David encouraging his son, be strong, be courageous. King David, the one who slew Goliath the giant. King David, the one who had led many, many military campaigns, was telling his son, now you be brave. But he had the capital to say, you be brave, because he was brave. He was courageous in his life. Fathers, we've got to have the courage to be vulnerable. Can I tell you something that I learned in parenting my children? And I've encouraged every parent since then. That you've got to acknowledge the mistakes when you make them. That they... Your children will understand. And it is a healthy dynamic for you to say, listen, son, I missed it. I, I punished you and I shouldn't have or I, sh I should have listened or I, I should have done better or should have been there on time. Whatever the case may be, apology sets a good precedence for them because now they can be a father that way or a mother that way someday too. Can I tell you, the greatest indicator of how they're going to do in their role and their dynamic as a family is what they see in you? If I've heard it once, I've heard it a hundred times, and I know our counselors have heard it more than that. Well, my father this, and my mother that, and my home this, and my home that. Can we stop the curse in our own home today? Be courageous. Mothers, this is going to sound strange. It's going to sound odd. But as you're looking through the scriptures and trying to find examples of mothers, with, with the exception of Mary, the mother of Jesus, which is a great example. But as I was looking through it, I was looking at the mothers through scripture. And it's few and far between mothers that truly show that they're caring Mothers are called to be caring. I looked at Hagar, who was the mother of Ishmael. And the scripture says that she left him under a bush because you couldn't bear to see him crying and wandered off. And we see examples of mothers in scripture that they're dropping the ball, but can I tell you, it still doesn't change the standard. Mother, you're called to be caring. God created you to be a nurturer, so nurture something. Care. It's been proven and proven and proven that there are children that literally, physically don't grow because their mothers don't nurture. They're physically sick because of the touch of the mother is not present in their lives. 
We see Mary being caring and reflecting and meditating in her heart on the goodness of God in Jesus' life. Mother, you're called to be full of faith. Full of faith. 2 Kings chapter 4, we see a story of a widow that just has a little bit of oil left. And the man of God comes and says, make me a meal. And she does. She makes his meal before she makes a meal for her and her son. She was full of faith. And what God did is God blessed her in such a way that now she didn't just have enough for her and her son, but she had enough to live on for many, many, many days ahead. Why? Because she was full of faith. Mom, can I believe, can I share this with you, that your faith can move mountains. Something about a kid that knows mama believes in them. Am I right or am I wrong? At the end of the day, we all have these different dynamics and these different roles that we are to play in our families. As a husband, as a wife, as a child, as a father, as a mother. Can I also remind you that Jesus' promises, he is the gap filler. Now whatever you don't have or you feel like you fall short with, by the power of the Holy Spirit and because of the sacrifice of the cross, God can be and will be all of those things. So my encouragement to you is simply this. Don't try to go out and knock this whole list out this week. Identify one thing and say, Lord, help me do that one. Help me to be intentional with that one and allow God to continue to grow you in your spirit as a husband, as a wife, as a father, as a mother. There is a great comfort in knowing your identity in God. And it isn't confusing when we look at this. At the beginning of it all, male and female, he created them. The roles are distinct. The roles are clear. Over thousands of years and a whole lot of stories, this is a lot of examples of people messing it up. But God doesn't make mistakes. So we don't look at God and say, well, you probably, you know, that might be a little bit too high of a standard. At my house, it's not like that. Uh-uh. Either this is the God for your family or you are the God for your family. Which one takes precedence? I think this one. Amen? Can I tell you something? You can avoid a whole lot of heartache if you let this one be in charge. <laughs> Amen? Amen. Before we dismiss, I've got a couple of things I'd like to do. First of all, uh, an announcement. If you didn't notice, there's a, a room out there with a glass wall called the Go Room. Uh, it's a mission central type of place. Pastor Mike Teeter's here, and they're going to Honduras in a little while. I keep saying Nicaragua, so maybe he'll stop there too. Anyway, <laughs> missions trip. Missions trip to Honduras, and he shared with me that if you had bags, please bring them as soon as you can. Uh, there's around 40 or 50 bags that are out there. They're taking them with them to uh, Honduras for, a missions, for the missions trip. If you have no idea what that is, you don't have to worry about it. If you have a bag, bring it. Um, 
that would be awesome. Also, I want to call Nancy up. Nancy, come on up. Bring Pastor Paul with you as well. While they're coming, we want to pray for strength for this one. Come on up, young lady. This is our drummer for Greater Life Nepali. This is our pastor. If you haven't met Pastor Paul Darnell, his precious wife here, and Kevin. I see Kevin down there. And, uh, but we have a church on uh, Sunday afternoons at 2 o'clock. That is a Nepali congregation led by this awesome gentleman here. And we learned that Nancy is going to India this week. Well, we learned a while back she was going to India to visit. And we said, can you carry a bunch of stuff? So... She is uh, going to be taking sound equipment, audio equipment, media equipment, and other stuff over to our church in India, Greater Life Church India, and uh, they have, I think, three places they're meeting now. Is that correct? And uh, so they're outgrowing us. We got to catch up. So uh, anyway, we want to pray for Nancy. Kelly, would you come? Help pray with, pray with me. Give it up for my wife. Oh, <laughs> All right. Reach your hands up here. We're going to pray blessing and pray for uh, protection, but let's pray. Ready, Nancy? Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for what you're doing through Greater Life Nepali and Pastor Paul. I also thank you, God, that you have opened up this door so we could help Nancy go to this region in India. May she God, just be blessed as she visits with family, but also, Lord, as she's taking these resources to these churches and, and Brother Amit, who's there leading this ministry on the ground, I pray, God, that your favor, I pray your protection, and I pray these things. It's just stuff, but I pray, God, you would use it in miraculous fashion to reach people that are lost in the name of Jesus. God, may you break down spiritual strongholds in India so your name may be made great, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for these precious people, and we thank you, God, that their mission is clear, to go and equip the church so they can continue to reach the lost. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you guys so much. Love you, brother. Have fun, Nancy. Be safe. Oh. Helping you down, helping you down. All right, one more thing. We got family night this Wednesday. Family dinner is breakfast or dinner. I'll be on the Blackstone burning pancakes all night. It's gonna be awesome. We eat at six-ish and uh, ministry starts at seven. We've got family camp movie and uh, Greater Life Academy is going awesome. And uh, I just wanted to make you aware that today is the last day that you can sign your child up for Greater Life Academy where we're waiving the application fee. And then after that, uh, all the regular registrations, we're opening it up this week and uh, really it's gonna fill up quickly. So if you want your child to be involved in Greater Life Academy, sign up today, the last day for application fee being waived. And then you can sign up after that if you have money you just wanna throw into the air. Anyway, <laughs> Let me pray a blessing over you. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the clarity of your word. Really. Thanks for making it easy on us to know what to do, when to do, how to do. Now, God, may you raise up an army, Lord, of people in this room that are submitting to your plan and doing their very best with your help to do what you've called them to do. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you.